0: Dirks Bentley sings this song, country music song, about three items and or three things in his life. The first one is an old truck. He keeps driving around, and everybody keeps telling him that's a beat-up old truck. It's not worth anything. You need to get you a new truck, and he says, no, 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 no. This is, this is my dad's truck, and he's gone. The truck is still here, and every time I drive it around, I just think of him. I'm, I'm just going to hold on. I hold on. And then he's got this old guitar. It's just really a piece of wood with a few strings still attached to it, and and he still uses it once in a while. But he's never going to let go of it because that's what he first learned it on. And he says, "No, I'm not going to get rid of this. I'm not going to chunk this as a part of yesterday. I'm going to hold on." And then the chorus comes to the things I believe in: my faith, love, our freedom. To the things I can count on that, to keep me going strong. Yeah, I. Hold on, I hold on. And then the last verse is a song to his wife. And he never been no doubt. He said, without you, I'd be nothing. So if you ever worry about me walking out, let me tell you something. I hold on. I love that song. Good, honest stuff. What keeps you holding on in a world where so many people have already turned loose? What keeps you holding on? Maybe maybe I should reverse it. Let's go backwards and say, okay, let's say two years from now, you're no longer walking the life of faith. You're no longer believing the truth of the gospel. You're now out there living in the world like everybody else. Why did you quit? Or maybe I'll put it this way. You've done everything you can to invest the faith into your kids to put it in their minds and their lives, to get them to embrace the whole Christian faith. And they, it just doesn't take. They walk away from it. Why are they departing? In our text this morning, Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says, hang in there with your faith and ministry. It's not that Timothy is sputtering. His faith is sputtering. Paul doesn't want to take chances. He names people in this letter who have done that. Demas, who's fallen in love with the present world, has gone back to it, Right? And he knows firsthand the incredible challenges that attend to our faith in a world that doesn't embrace it very well. And it's hard sometimes to hang on to it. Why do we let loose? Well, he's already answered that chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to go back there. Understand in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People are going to follow whatever is in their womb. They're going to say, whatever whim that they have. They're going to say, I'm going to follow my heart. I'm going to be true to myself. They're going to, that's the whole nature and character and disposition of our generation, of our people of the last days. That's what they think. And y'all, it resonates with us. We are a product of our generation. There's a draw to that, to give up the faith and just do whatever is true to you. And then he says in chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many who follow Jesus will be persecuted? All includes, what percentage is that of us in this room will be persecuted for our faith? One hundred percent. He wants you to know it's a blanket promise. I guarantee you, you will be... Per- so you're going to have pressure from the world. You're going to have persecution from the world. And boy, it's gonna be pr- you're going to be prone and so drawn sometimes to just let loose, right? We're going to have to hold on. We're going to have to know why we should hold on. I can't help but feel that we're living in a time when even church people are losing confidence in their beliefs and in their way of life. We're holding on sometimes, but it feels like we're just barely hanging on, and the next burst of wind will knock us loose. The times we live in, oh, the times we live in just make us want to quit. But like Peter walking on the water, we need to not look around at the culture around us and what it does. We need to keep our focus on Christ. and Don't let loose. Hang on. So how are you going to hang on? We know how to hang on. We know the secret. Number one is this, if you notice in verse, verse number 10, but you, Timothy, after he describes all these other people and what they're doing and how they're letting loose of the faith, you know, Timothy, who to follow. You know the right people to follow. And that's in verse 10. He made a choice, Timothy, made a choice. You know, when he was a teenager, he was looking around all the things to be like. I could be like that person when he watched the news, when he watched a movie, when he went out and he saw what everybody else was doing. He made a choice about who to follow. And who was it? It was Paul who came through a couple of times and he saw what Paul believed, what he taught. He saw how he lived, his aim in life. He, taught, he looked at everything Paul was doing and says, that's the guy I want to follow. And it made all the difference. Who are you following? We're all following Somebody. But can you see why he might have changed his mind between when he first chose Paul and now? He's following Paul just a few feet behind his feet. He's following just like, but Paul, where is Paul right now as he writes this letter? He's on death row about to walk the green mile to the the butcher's block where his head is going to be removed from his body. And suddenly, Timothy's just walking along behind him and he looks up ahead and he realizes, that's what's going to happen to me if I stay like Paul. I wonder if he's second-guessing himself. And then the other thing is this, is Timothy has done his life and he's lived in his ministry. He's noticed that there are other people who preach the gospel who just aren't quite as serious about it. They're preaching a certain level of the truth, and they're getting paid for it, but they're not really suffering for it. They're not really facing the difficulty. They're not really following Jesus. They're kind of half-hearted, you know, just enough to make them feel like they're saved and they're okay, but they're not really following the gospel like Paul was. And he's like, well, there's options. Just like when you're growing up and you think that your family experiences what everybody experiences, but when you grow up and you start watching Facebook and when you start getting to know people, you realize there's different ways of living out there. So if you're raised in the faith and you think, well, everybody's raised this way. No, they're not. And you soon find out as you interact with other people, there are people who live different. And sometimes it's a little easier living the way they do. It'd be easy for Timothy to suddenly decide, you know what, Paul? I'm kind of backing off a little bit. I'm putting some distance between me and you. And Paul says, don't do that. You, Timothy, you chose this. You remember this. All those persecutions that Paul helps him to remember, Iconium and Lystra, they're all old. They're all from the time when Timothy was young. He saw Paul face this stuff. And you knew about it. And you followed me. You chose to be different. This word for follow is not quite like the one we are used to. If you're on um, Facebook, it's called You Like This Person. If, you're, it's on, if it's on Twitter, I think you follow somebody. And the idea is I follow them when I, when I get little news about what's going on in their life. That's called following. That's not what Paul's talking about. The following Paul's talking about is when you are coming along behind them and you actually want to be like them. I think it's sort of like Dukes of Hazzard. Anybody remember Dukes of Hazzard? College people don't. The movie, maybe, but the old show, Bo and Luke. And you've got this one police officer named Roscoe P. Coltrane. Anybody remember him? Flash. Flash was in the seat beside him, and he was always in the seat beside him. I don't know that he moved, Right. And so you've got Roscoe got Pico training. and his number one task in the world is to catch Bo and Luke Duke. Finally, go, catch him. I, I want to not just follow him. I want to catch him. And he makes this obnoxious sound when he thinks he's about to catch him. Anybody remember the sound Roscoe Pico trained made? I'm going to have the college people try to copy this. I want you to get this. He'd get excited. He'd think, I'm about to catch him. He'd go, anybody remember that? Can you all try that? Try it. Yes, it sounded like they learned so fast. That's right. It's like, I'm going to catch them. And that's the sound that Timothy made when he was watching Paul. I just want to be like that. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to remember that. And I don't want you to lose that because, because you're following me because you admire. That's the first thing. When it means, what this means, this word to follow means in the Greek, it means you admire something. You're watching it, and you're studying it, and you respect it. And you think, I have a great sense of desire. But I, I just look at that, and I'm amazed. There's many people, though, that keep their Christian faith as an admiration faith. There's lots of people that follow Jesus, and it said they were amazed at him. It's not enough to be amazed at him. It's not enough just to be amazed at Jesus. It's not enough to just be amazed at the Christian faith. That's not what following is. It's to be admire and to aspire. I love that these rhyme. It really works together. These two together create the following that Paul is telling Timothy. I want you not only to admire it, but I want you to want to be like it, to emulate it, to imitate it, to walk right there in the steps of it. And I want you to continue choosing the right one. Notice Paul, he says, you chose me because my teaching was the gospel, my conduct was the gospel, my faith was the gospel, my patience was the gospel. Nothing less than gospel, his aim in life, not to make all the money he could and all the fame he could and be as comfortable he could. No, no, my, 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 my number one aim in life is to be faithful to the gospel God created called me to Timothy saw that and he aspired to be like it this is when you're a life coach if you haven't used a life coach this is called the flow it's when you've gotten into the you know exactly what you were created to do And you're right in line with it. It's like, I know today what I do is exactly what I'm here to do. And for those spiritually, that spiritually for us is, we know we were created in the image of God to image God. And when you live your life in order to imitate God through Christ, when you're in the middle of that and you're doing that, you know you are doing what you were very designed by God to do. And it's an amazingly satisfying feeling. Don't judge though whether you're doing that, if everything's going smoothly. There are times Paul faced persecution, and if you look at the apostles in the book of Acts, when they faced persecution, they walked away rejoicing they could suffer for Jesus. They knew they were in the flow, and it didn't matter what was going wrong. What was right was more important. That's called the flow. And that's where Paul lived, and Timothy admired that, and he wanted the same for himself. Today, if you want to see the flow kind of like in a lesser sense, you need to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie because this person gets in the flow. They're living their lives in New York City, running a business, and they think they're successful, and they go home to a family inn that is enjoying the Christmas holiday, and they've got to run the family inn. And suddenly they realize that all that they'd done in, over here in New York was not really in tune with their heart. Now, all of a sudden, they go live in a town of 2,000 people that has an ice skating rink. What town of 2,000 people has an ice skating But they all do, and they go around in circles. And the family gets, the whole community gets together, all 14 of them, and they light the Christmas tree. And you hear the Christmas singing. Right? And of course, you go pick up the Christmas tree for yourself, and you get cocoa. I don't know. I've never been anywhere that had cocoa there because there weren't enough people to justify it. But anyway, in Hallmark, it's the flow. It's the flow, y'all. And you meet that one beautiful girl who's middle-aged and not married. Never married and has two kids who aren't hyper at all. They are They are like little angelic cherub beings. It, they're perfect children. They're obedient in every way. And you fall in love and you realize this is where my life. This is how I'm. Supposed. And you give up everything before for what you've rediscovered in this last month of the miracle of Christmas. It's called the flow. They're divorced by February, but th- that doesn't matter. You don't get that part of this. That flow, that sense that everything's falling into place and it's like it should be. The, the Christian can experience that in a spiritual sense. Not because everything's, are, everything's perfect and there are no problems. It's not about perfection. It's about knowing you're right with God. And every night you go to bed and you know you're in communion with God. And he's pleased with you. And you delight in him. And you lay your head on that pill and you go to sleep, Right? Paul would tell you that your worst moment in life with God is 10 million times better than your best moment without him. He would tell you that. And then he would tell you as you walk that green mile with him and they're about to chop a head off his body, right? He would tell you, "You keep walking with me because five seconds after that, he is in an experience where all the suffering pales in comparison with the glory that God always had in store for him. He knew that already, though, and that's why he lives the way he does. He knows what's ahead, and he's wanting to be in that. That's this life. That's this life and the next. It's best to live God's way, and it's best for you to admire the people who are living that way. And it's not just Paul. Paul mentions, you know those (coughs) whom you've learned this from. Who was he talking about? His mother and his grandmother. You don't have to look for these big headline people. You don't have to look for, admire these people from a distance that you don't really know. The, there are people right next to you right now where you're sitting who are living lives that are admirable and you should aspire to. We have heroes in our midst. Quit looking to the media and letting them decide what you should do. Our world applauds weird things. Our world right now is is trying to find worth in things that aren't worthy. They're, They're applauding things that shouldn't be applauded. And because of that, our kids who love applause, I mean, we all do. We will do the things that are celebrated by your world. Everybody around them is celebrating this ungodly stuff. It becomes appealing to them. They need to hear from us what's worthy. They need to see from us what they should aspire to. And we have the examples in our midst if we'll open our eyes and see them. Open your eyes and see them. Ina Brown is here. One of the most faithful women, I've, and she's going to kill me for saying this. She's one of the most active, most faithful, most godly, most loving person, most serving person I've ever seen anywhere. If you want to aspire to be somebody who's admirable, choose her. Jamie Smith is the same way. She's out here. You have no idea the secret things she's doing for all sorts of people. And she oftentimes gets criticized for it. And yet she does it because she knows it's right. There's somebody to admire and aspire to be like. Jennifer Carlton's the same way. Randy Simpkins is the same way. So last week I go up to... She's going to kill me for this too. Hey, just take a shot. I don't care, right? I'm just going to be killed for anything. Bridget Coates goes to work out in the same place I do. She's sitting there listening to stuff. I'm like, what are you listening to? And she shows it to me. She says, I'm just listening to worship music. I just need that influence right now. There's something to admire and to aspire to be like. We have them in our midst. Open your eyes. Choose the right people because y'all... Our kids are being pushed toward things to imitate that aren't imitation worthy. And we need to help them figure out what it is. And one of the most important things in Timothy's life is he followed the right person. He chose the right kind of person, and he had a mother and a grandmother he could do, but then Paul comes along and becomes another one. We need our parents, but we need more than our parents. You need to have your kids at church for a lot of reasons, y'all. You need to be raising your kids in church for a lot of reasons. The Bible class for Bible education, the worship in order to worship properly, but they need to be surrounded by people they can look up to and admire and aspire to be like, and you can know that if they do, it's good for them. Where else are you gonna find it? Where else are you going to find it? People who are real, flawed. People you can get to know and have access to and actually know their life is like an open book. Yes, flawed, but faithful. Faithfully flawed. That's what we need. And that's what we need to aspire to. But there's a second thing Paul says. After you follow the right people, you need to follow Scripture. Scripture. That's how we hold on. We've got to be confident in the word. I see us, I'll be honest with you, I see us getting less and less confident in the word. Of God. Maybe because it's so old. It's been around forever. I've heard that all my life. And the world's offering such different alternatives, explanations and interpretations of everything, and they sound so appealing. It resonates with my own fallen kind of opinion. And then I read Scripture, and I'm just like, man, it just, it's old. And anything old in our world, anything old needs to be dismissed because it's got to be new to be fresh and exciting. And, and, and churches are choosing to prop up worship with something more than just the Word, that we need to have a band, right? We need to have a celebration. We need to have dramatic presentations. We need to The Word's not enough. We've got to make it a little more exciting, a little more sexy, right? We've got to make it a little more compelling to people. The Word's not enough, but the Word is enough. The word is enough, and Paul says to Timothy, don't lose your confidence in that word. Don't lose it. And I'll tell you why you shouldn't, he says. Because of what the Bible is. Because of what the Bible is. It is, verse 16, the breath of God. That's the source. Do you believe that the words of Scripture that we read either here and where you read at home, do you actually believe that came from the mouth of God? Ancient words. You just sang it a moment ago. Do you really believe that? If we really believe that, I think we'd have a little more reverence for it. Even the Koran the, Islam, the, the Islamic people will get all over you if you do anything weird to the current. I don't know that we, we're, we're pretty casual with our copies. Is the Word of God really all that? Because, it, really, if, if we were in a Harry Potter world, and sometimes I wish we were, you know, they have the pictures on the wall and they're moving. It's like the people are actually moving and the pictures. And then they have that book of monsters, and the monsters are actually in the book. And if you don't keep that thing tied down, those things will get loose. I think if you could really look at the Word of God, whether it's on your coffee table or in your bookshelf or even in your hands, if you'll look closely, you should see it breathing. It's alive. Ain't no dead book. We're not just looking for something ancient for inspiration. No, no, it's a living and active Word that divides, right? It divides people, and it divides you into the parts of you that are right and the parts of you that are sinful, and it's identifying and and, and just, you know, knifing us up, right? Putting us in pieces. That's what the Word is doing. It's a living thing. God spoke those words to people in real settings, and when we place those words into those similar settings in our life, it still breathes, and it's still alive. It's like... It's like when you talk to somebody, If you get real close, and some people like to violate personal space. Do you know anybody like this? I get really close. You shouldn't do that. It really should be about 18 inches. Gary Buck, it should be 18 inches. I'm kidding. Sort of. Is, when you talk to somebody, and you're in a conversation, you can feel and smell their breath. They share something from within them with you. When you read scripture, you should smell and feel the breath of God. He's sharing his heart with you, and he initiated the conversation. He said, I want you to know me, and I'm going to give you my words, and I want you to feel my breath and know it's every bit as real as that. That's what the Bible is. And then he says what the Bible does. This is the function of the Bible. This is a great thing. And he says four words, two positive, two negative, right? It's what it does. It's It's a function. So first of all, what it does is it takes care of our teaching, useful for belief. So what should I believe? What should I really believe about life, where it came from, where it's going? What should I believe about how the world works? What should I really believe as my core identity? What should I really believe about my creator and how he feels about me? If you want to know that, don't go asking the philosophers. Let God breathe on you his answer by looking at his word. It's useful for that. It's useful for weighing what you should believe. And When the world tells you, just follow your heart, do what's in your heart. Be true to yourself. When it tells you that's the non, that's the main doctrine of our world. That's the teaching of our world. Go ahead, listen to that and then compare it to scripture that says, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick." Now tell me, who's right? Follow your heart? Scripture says no way. Don't follow your heart. What are you going to do? If Scripture is what God says it is, He's standing behind it, and He puts Himself behind it. He is behind the product, and He's the power of it, and it's absolutely certain, and you can know it. It should have veto power, and it should tell you what the world is telling me and cramming down my throat is absolutely not the truth. But you've got to trust Scripture to believe that. A whole lot more preachers believe follow your heart then believe what I just told you. But what are you going to believe? Scripture is useful for that, but it, it's only useful when you it's useful for that, but it's only useful when you use it. How many of you have a treadmill at home that you hang clothes from? Be honest. I've got in-laws that tell me the oil leaks in it. They put it out in the garage, and they hang stuff on it. Perfectly good treadmill. It's useful for things, but you have, to, you have to get on it. A fitness is great, but listen, your membership card is not what works. You have to go to it and use it. And Scripture is like that. It's useful for this right here. It's also useful for your behavior. The, next, the last two words are the behavior words. Do you, are you doing something you need to be corrected for? Are you uncertain about what you should do and like, I don't know what to do? Well, then train yourself. Scripture is the source of training your behavior and correcting wrong behavior. And so when you're doing something like this, some behavior like this, it just seems to me everybody else is doing this. You start doing it and go, hold it, hold it. Is that what Scripture says I should do? It's not just about belief. It's not just about what you think mentally. It's about what you do physically. And Scripture is all of that for us, every bit of it. I think when you read Scripture, you should hear a certain sound. Now, I'm testing. I've tested Paul Thornton, and he's come through every time. He's going to come through uh, today, too. And these college people never heard this sound before, maybe. Some of you adults have. This is the sound you should hear every time you open up Scripture and access the Word of God. Anybody remember what that sound is? How, you have any idea what that sound is? You do? Okay. so The old dial-up, sometimes faxes this way too. But the old dial-up internet, that terrible stuff you had to wait forever, it's like, wait till we connect with the server. And, it, and finally, there's a connection. And can I tell you, those people who submit to Scripture are the people who connect with God. The Spirit He has to live in you connects with Him and you actually, through Scripture and prayer, have this connection formed. You should hear the sound every time you open the Scriptures. They give you access and connection to the Creator God because He wants relationship with you. He started this conversation with His Word, and you continue it, and you agree to abide by it as you talk back to Him. And this conversation keeps going. And as you submit, you hold on. Paul knew the spirit of the last days would be hard for us to resist. We are surrounded by the spirit of the age. And it is absolutely pounding, we members of the church. It's awful hard to hold on to these ancient truths. It's very hard to keep agreeing to these when it's so much easier to go with the flow of what's out there. Paul knew that. He knew the persecution would come and would add another element to this. So we have to hold on. Don't lose confidence in the things that God has given us. Don't lose confidence in this church, what we're doing for each other when we get together and we admire and aspire to be like one another. And the best thing, don't, don't, don't lose confidence in this. And don't lose confidence in this. The world has already turned its back on both of those. We hold on. We hold on. And that's what we're going to do until the Lord returns. We're going to together hold on to the scriptures we know are straight from the heart of God. This morning, if there's anyone discouraged, about to let loose, if there's something we can do to help you, we long to do that. If you've never given your life to God, give your life to Him. Submit to the Savior. Name His name from your lips and be immersed. Whatever is your spiritual need, make it known as we stand and as we sing together.